chapter 11, verses 13 through 14. And seeing from afar off a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if it perhaps would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Please be seated. Our sermon series on the book of Mark continues with Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 24. A story is told, this is a fictional story, a very fictional story, about a preacher who in heaven, he looks around and he recognizes someone he knows. He recognizes a guy that was a New York City taxi cab driver. And he also notices that that taxi cab driver had a much bigger mansion than his mansion. So he asks why. He said, you know, I was a preacher for 50 years. Why does he get a bigger one than me? To which he was told, well, it's quite simple. When you preach, you put people to sleep. But when he drove his taxi, people prayed. (laughs) You know, we want to be fruitful. We want to be fruitful for the Lord. We want more people to know about His saving grace. The question is how? Go back to that passage that Tim has already shared with you. The story of the fig tree serves as an introduction to what will happen in Jerusalem. Where we've got to talk about the cleansing of the temple. Because there's a problem in Jerusalem. The Jewish religion had become unfruitful. And the story of the fig tree will serve as a sandwich. It will be a part of the story before the cleansing and a part after the cleansing. You see, Jesus went to the tree because there was leaves. Now, you need to understand, this was not the season for figs. Figs in Judea, uh, there's two seasons for figs. The first one is June. The second one is early September. And then if conditions are just right, there could be a third season, a third crop that would happen in December. But here's what always happened. You would first have buds that would come on the fig tree. And poor people often would eat those buds. They were somewhat tasty. So after the buds would appear, then after the buds, then you would have the leaves. And you see, this fig tree, it was not going to have fruit for that season. Because it had the leaves, but no buds. So Jesus, what does He do? He said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. But did you catch the end there? And His disciples heard it. This action by Jesus is not an action born out of anger. It's a teachable moment. The fig tree was one of the many symbols of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, like that fig tree, had become unfruitful. The lesson that Jesus is teaching 
is this. Jesus wants His followers to be fruitful. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to have qualities in our life, those virtues that Peter talked about. He wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit that that Paul talked about. And more importantly, He wants us to bear fruit of other Christians, to bring others to Him. The Lord wants His followers to make a difference, to make a real difference in people's lives. Jesus wants His followers to lead people to a God who can actually change them from the inside out. The Jewish religion of the first century had become fruitless. They were just going through the motions. That's what this fruitless fig tree represents here. It represents Israel's fruitless religion. Several prophets in the Old Testament had used the metaphor of a fruitless fig tree to describe Israel's spiritual barrenness even hundreds of years before the ministry of Jesus. In fact, their religious rituals and practices actually kept people from coming to God and their religion became nothing more than just an exclusive club for the comfort of its members. It makes me wonder, what are we doing? What are we doing in the Lord's church today that keeps people from coming to God or at least makes it harder for them to come to know Jesus? Let's look at just one thing. Just one thing here. I want you for just a moment, I want you to look. I want you to look as far as you can to the left. Don't, don't stand up. Now don't stand up. But just stay seated. But look as far as you can to your left. Just look as far as you can to your left. And then look as far as you can to your right. Did you see anybody who's a guest? Did you see anybody who's a guest in our worship service this morning? And if you did... Did you make them feel welcome? Did you make them feel welcome? Now, you're going to say, well, Michael, this is COVID and all that. Well, I understand. That's the reason why we still have uh, the wings are still sectioned off to give people social distancing. We understand that. But you don't have to. You don't have to, you know, shake hands and get them right in the face to greet them. When do I'm going to use you as my guinea pig? You're, my, you're going to be a guest. Hey, glad to have you here. You say your name was Wendell Birds? Well, we are so happy to have you, Wendell. Thank you for being here. I've stayed at a social distance, but I've also made him feel welcome. How many people around you have you missed making feel welcomed? How about it? This past week, we received a message And the message was accurate to some degree. That message said, we didn't feel welcomed. We always want to make people feel welcomed. Because this is an opportunity to have you to worship with us. We want to do a better job at that. We want to make people feel like we are welcome. Um, 
For many years, I was uh, in a club called Rotary. And we had a thing in Rotary, in Paragool, that uh, uh, before the meeting really got going, we would uh, draw two people's names out of the hat. And we'd say, okay, the first person, did you welcome and did you greet the second person? If they hadn't, they had to pay a fine. We were trying to encourage people in the club to get to know club members. So that's how we, that's one of the little things we did to make people get to know club members of Rotary. If that was done here, how many fines would we have to pay? Here's my point. Anytime we have a a, a, a guest in our worship service, let's make sure they feel welcome to be here, to welcome them to our family. The question, back, going back to our lesson, the question is this, how can we as a body of believers bear fruit for the glory of God? Go back down to verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. This would probably be in the court of the Gentiles. This is the furthest away from the actual temple, but still part of the temple's ground. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the, through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, now he's going to quote two Old Testament prophets. The first one is Isaiah 56, verse 7. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The markets were the problem. There was five markets. Those five markets were supposed to be for the benefit of the people coming to worship. Four markets were on the Mount of Olives. One market was in, actually, the temple grounds in the court of the Gentiles. It was set up by the high priest Caiaphas. Now, two, two doves two doves would normally cost about a day's wages. So if you needed to, uh, to purchase doves, two doves for for sacrifice, it would cost you about a day's wages. But the market inside the court of the Gentiles, it was a whole week's wages. And if you brought your own animal, guess what? It probably wasn't going to measure up. It wasn't going to be good enough. And it's going to be uh, uh, disqualified. The money changers. People would have the Greek and Roman coins, but you can't use that because those coins have graven images. You've got to use these Tyranian coins. Oh, by the way, we're going to make a very hefty profit on exchanging them with you. What were they doing? They were actually causing people to be shut off from God. To be separated and separated from God. Go back to verse 17 for just a moment. It was to be a place of prayer for all nations. But they were causing it to be anything but. Verse 18. 
And the scribes and chief priests, he heard, they heard what Jesus had done, and they sought how they might destroy him. For why? They feared him. Jesus was a threat to their position, their power, their base. They feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening come, don't miss this verse, when evening had come, he went out of the city. Evening came and Jesus left. Yes, physically he left, but also spiritually he left. Because this was not what God intended in his temple. We need to, we need to do something. We need to let Christ get rid of the fruitless religion that keeps people from him. If people can't see Jesus in my heart, if people can't see the difference that Jesus makes in my life, guess what? I've got to do something about it. I've got to do something about it. Specifically, we need to let Christ clean out the hypocrisy in our own lives. Now, the other prophet here that Jesus is quoting is Jeremiah 7, verse 11, that den of thieves. Because the Jewish religious authorities, you know, they took so much pride in being sons of Abraham and they took so much pride in, hey, we've got the temple. The temple of God. Aren't we holy? Aren't we special? You see, religious rituals, like they were doing there in Jerusalem, cannot cover our sins. We can't hide behind our church attendance. Well, God, you've got to let me in heaven. I had perfect attendance even Wednesday nights. We can't hide behind our giving. God, hey, I gave even more than 10%. We can't hide behind the singing of hymns. Like, hey, God, did you hear my voice? I really praised you. Or did you hear my prayers? Oh, those prayers were special. You see, the Lord knows the real you and me. He knows what we're like come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I happened to meet a man at Walmart in Paragul several years ago. And we got talking, and I had on, you know, those shirts I have on that has Church of Christ on it. Well, we got talking, and, and he had once attended a, a Church of Christ growing up, and we got talking and all, and, and he had lived in, in the community for several years. And I said, well, where do you live? He said, I live on certain, certain street. I said, oh, wow. Well, you live just two houses down from one of our members. Who? And I mentioned the member's name. I wish I hadn't. I blew it. I mentioned the member's name, and he said, if he's one of your members, I don't want to come and worship there. I found out that that member was not living a Christian life Monday through Saturday at all. The things he did, the words he said, the actions he took was not Christ-like. You see, people, people don't judge. You know, it's unfair. 
Billy, it's unfair. People don't judge the Lord based on the written word. They often judge the word, uh, the Lord based on our word, how we live our lives. That's not fair to Jesus, but that's how people are. What kind of picture are we painting of the Lord? I'm convinced that the greatest hindrance for people coming to Christ today is the hypocrisy they see in some Christians. I want you to listen to this quote. It comes from one of my books in my library. I think the writer here really sums it up quite well. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips then walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It was November 2004. Maintenance workers at Duke University Hospital in North Carolina were draining out used hydraulic elevator fluid. They had no else place to put it, so they put it into empty detergent drums. Those drums of hydraulic fluid were accidentally placed next to, probably guessed it, new drums of detergent fluid. That detergent fluid was used to clean surgical equipment. Unfortunately, the hydraulic fluid looked and had the same appearance as the detergent. They did not discover their mistake until after 3,800 surgeries later. The CEO of Duke University Hospital said, well, we want to give people the message that we care about our patients. No doubt they did care. But if their instruments weren't safe, they were a threat to their patients, no matter how much they cared. Here's my point. So it is with the church. We may care about people, but if there is sin and hypocrisy in the containers of our religion, then we'll do them more harm than good. If you want to be effective in our ministry as a church, to God and not away from God, then we need to be, we need to let Jesus Clean out the fruitless religion in our lives. At the very least, we need to allow Jesus to get rid of the hypocrisy in our own lives. Then second, we need to pray. Verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Don't miss that. This is not the way it normally happens. Trees die above ground first and die below ground second. It dried up from the roots. The Jewish religion had good roots. Abraham, man of faith. Moses, the lawgiver. David, the great king who had the heart for the Lord. But those roots were dead. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, look. The fig tree which you curse has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. 
have faith in God. You see, the fig tree was not only a lesson in fruitless religion, it was a lesson in faith. Got to have faith. Verse 23, I surely say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his own heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Do you have family and friends who are not Christians? Do you want them to become a Christian? If we want to see God move mountains in people's lives, if we want to see God use us to bring people closer to Him, then we must pray with absolute faith and confidence in God. Absolutely. We must pray believing that He will answer our prayers. This is a picture of one of my heroes in the faith. Marshall Keeble. My grandfather knew him well. I have listened to so many of his lessons. Early in his life, Marshall Keeble, he said, I've got a goal. I've got a goal of planting a hundred churches, a hundred congregations. I want to help start a hundred congregations in my lifetime, and I want to baptize 10,000 people. Folks asked him, hey, this is America here. Get real. Uh, it's not going to happen. Look, the social implications, our society, you, <laughs> that's not going to happen. To which Marshall Keeble said, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to take place. I don't know how it's going to happen. I just pray and I let God do the rest. Amen. By the way, he started much more than 100 congregations and he helped lead more than 10,000 people to Christ. My friends, that's what happens when God's people pray in faith. God supplies everything we need to do His will. Will we believe? Will we pray? All we have to do is pray in faith, believing that He will. But not only that, we must pray with forgiveness in our hearts toward one another. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. The word forgive here, very interesting Greek word. The Greek word for forgive here was used in Bible days to describe the loosening of a ship from its mooring, from the dock or to describe the release of an individual from an accusation or an obligation. You see, the lack of love and forgiveness in our own hearts 
keeps us tied down to the dock. It keeps us from doing God's work. So we need to release people from their offenses toward us. We need to let them go. We need to set them free so that we too can be free to do and to be all that God wants us to do and be. Are we willing to do that? This is Daryl Stingley, former NFL great, and yes, he is sitting in a wheelchair. On August the 12th, 1978, in a game, the quarterback from the Patriots threw a pass to Daryl Stingley. He went up to grab the pass and he was tackled with a bone-crushing tackle by Jack Tatum of the Raiders. It left Daryl Stingley paralyzed. He would die approximately 29 years later from complications related to that fateful day on the football field. Before he died, he said this, I have relived that moment over and over again. I was 26 years old at the time, and I remember thinking, what's going to happen to me? If I live, what am I going to be like? And there was all those whys. Why did it happen? Why was it me? Why, why, why? It was only after I stopped asking why that I was able to regroup and go on with my life. A crucial part of going on with his life was giving Jack Tatum. Now, that was not an easy task. You see, Jack Tatum, when he retired from football, he wrote a book titled Final Confessions of an NFL Assassin. That was his nickname, the NFL Assassin. In fact, in the book, he admitted that he played football with the intent to hurt members of the opposing team. That disturbed Daryl Stingley in reading that book. But he forgave the man anyway. Here's why. For me to go on and adapt to a new way of life, I had to forgive him. I couldn't be productive if my mind was clouded by revenge or animosity. Do you want to be loosened from the bitterness that's holding you back? Do you want to be set free to serve God wholeheartedly and effectively? Then in your mind, let go of the one who's hurt you. Loose him or her from any obligation to pay you back for the wrong committed against you. Set them free. Set them free. You'll find that God has also set you free as well. Now we're getting ready for a big day. As we approach June the 6th, June the 6th is going to be that special day that we're all going to come back together. We're going to go back to normal way of doing things. Classes, worship service. Do we as a church want to bear fruit for the glory of God this year? Do we want to be more Christ-like? Do we want people to come to know our Lord do you want to lead people to Christ on a regular basis and to see their lives transformed for all eternity? 
then let Christ clean out the fruitless religion in your life. And let's get on our knees and let's pray. I always end my lessons the same way. That is a reminder about that simple plan of salvation to become a Christian. I use these verses because these verses are words from Jesus. I could use other verses, but I use these. These are words from Jesus Himself to believe, to repent, confess, and to be baptized. Most of us here, as I look around the crowd, most of us have done that. That is wonderful. That is fantastic. But can people see Jesus living in us? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Can people see the love you have for Christ, for His church, for them? Do you need to seek forgiveness? The church stands ready to pray with you and for you. Let's make the rest of this year the best it could be for the Lord. Let's become a loving church truly loving church. Let's become a church that serves. Let's become a church that making a difference. Let's become a real light for the Lord right here in this community. Now, we've done some marvelous things in the past. Hey, we can give ourselves a pat on the back. That's true. But let's not rest on what we've accomplished in the past. Let's do more. Let's really get out there and let's really make a difference. If you have any need to respond, please do so as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Amen.